0: Hey there, WNBA Nation, this is Jason, editor here of the show, just wanted to jump on and give a quick update to one of the news stories that happened in between the recording and the editing and the release of this episode, and so I figured I'd just jump on real quick. After we talk about the Phoenix Las Vegas game, you're going to hear Steve and I go on a little bit of a rant about the situation regarding the stadium in which the Phoenix Sun will be posting games three and four. And the fact that they had been kicked out of their stadium uh, for Disney on ice and for some other reasons, we wanted to give an update. The Phoenix Sun Mercury organization has uh, adjusted some preseason basketball schedule stuff so that they can have a double header, getting them back into a home stadium rather than playing on a college campus. So they did make some efforts and we want to acknowledge that where it is uh, due. However, that still leaves short some stuff like game three is going to be at asu stadium uh in lieu of having to create space for disney on ice and obviously some of the frustration we have with that is still there but we did want to give credit where it is due so when you get to that point please just remember that i wanted to update that since the story has changed since recording but with that i will get out of the way and let you enjoy the show so here is the show seven six five four three two
1: one Hey guys, this is Liz Kambay. This is Nikki
0: Collin. What up guys? This is Ethan Stark. Hey, this is Emani Stafford.
1: Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Angel. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. WNBA Nation, hello again and welcome to this second semi-final edition of the show. We have a onslaught of basketball to talk about, some exciting stuff, some career highs, all all kinds of goodness to dive into. Good times all. I am Steve
0: Schwartzman. I'm here with producer Extraordinary Jason Snow. Jason, how's it? Be? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I am um excited to be on the show. I feel like sometimes because I'm an hour later than y'all, sometimes it's hard for me to do the late night episodes. But these daytime ones, this this is kind of my jam. I, I study I'm, you know, school is still completely online because of COVID and, and the associated things. So I'm home all day. This daytime thing is my thing. So if, if there are people on Twitch who want to see daytime streams, like I'm all for that. We can make this happen more often if, if y'all are yeah. here for it.
1: Yeah. We can start to set that up. I like it cause I work from home. So this is kind of my lunch break. Yeah. Um, so while people are gone or sleep or something in the house, then it's kind of a nice little break for me. Um, before I get back into work. So I don't mind that at all. It's good times. We have a lot of basketball to dive into. Um, we had two, You may not think them exciting when you look at the final scores, but there was definitely a lot to dive into. I do have to get into, we have to start before we talk about our first game though, Jason, with a very important question. And I'm glad that you and I are synced today because I think this is something specifically you would be a good specialist on because it's been a discussion during these games. Um, uh, so last night, so we're we're running these games parallel as they go, right? Because mm-hmm. they play at the same night. So last night, both games were game two. Now, most people might, when they can join them, call those game twos. We have two game twos on that night. Now, Rebecca <laughs> Lobo has been claiming on commentary that the, it should technically, in her mind, be games two instead of game twos. First of all, if you're in chat, here live on Twitch, and check us out live on Twitch uh, whenever, we, whenever we do it. It's always a fun time. Um, I I want to hear your opinions, but Jason, you especially. I'm curious where you stand on the Game 2s v. Games 2
0: debate. I am going to... So, you y- you also hear this argument um, sometimes in terms of like a title of a book um, or a title of an encyclopedia. Like, is it the Encyclopedia is Britannica Britannic or the Encyclopedia Brit... Britannica's like if you have multiple of those so that Mm -hmm. grammatically that's where you have that yeah and so um with that being the case my general rule and I don't know how correct this is because I haven't like sat down with like people who have PhDs in English literature and grammar and stuff but my general rule is if the entire thing is a title such as Encyclopedia Britannica then the pluralization is of the title and therefore would go at the end so Encyclopedia Britannica's um, so that being the case, I would say that game two is in its own way, the descriptive title. Um, and therefore I would probably say game twos, um, cause I'm not, I'm not just referring to any games that are both happen to be described as two. I'm referring to a specific game, which is game two. And therefore, since I have multiples, so the fact that I've conjoined them into yeah. a compound noun, I guess it was kind of what I would call it, like a multi-word noun.
1: Yeah. And almost, yeah. It, that's the thing is, it's it, it's often used as a branding agent, like the game yeah. and a number, especially if it's game five or game seven, like yeah. the final game in a series. It's used enough as a branding agent that I technically see it as what I would almost call it a proper noun. Yeah. Of like a, there's this terminology, um, you know, and so, for instance, you know, the I don't know why this came, the Book of Life. I don't know, something titled The Book of Life. (laughs) You could call two copies of it The Books of Life, but that's technically not, because then what you're saying is there's two separate books about life, and that might be true. Uh Say there's one about living in existence, and then there's one about the serial, and then there's one about the board game, and they're all books. Those are all books of life, various, various, right? So if you piece it together, in my head it would be Game 2's, Games 2 somewhat just sounds like more proper. Mm -hmm. It's like when you know someone who goes by a middle name and you're always intrigued Uh by, like, technically you can do the first initial. Like, my name is Steve, Stephen Eric Schwartzman, right? So I could be Stephen E. Schwartzman or Steve E. Schwartzman, which I'd never do because I don't want people calling me Stevie. But I also could be (laughs) S. Eric Schwartzman and somehow that sounds just a little more proper. Like oh, it, yeah. it has like an esteem to it. So games too, for some reason could have an esteem to it, but I don't know. And I'm not about to sit here and tell Rebecca Lobo how to do commentary <laughs> uh, or how to refer to these games. She certainly had more games two or three or four or five in her life than I have, Yeah, which I think is zero, unless you count my junior high school dodgeball tournament with which we won in a, a best of three final and there was a game two. So I get that, but I'm on the game two's end, or I just try to avoid adding plurality to it altogether. Yeah. Like, we had two instances of a game two tonight. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's how I work around it. So glad we had that important discussion. <laughs> That's, we got that out of the way. I think that clears up a lot of the gunk. Uh, let's, let's head to our calorically hot series because it's, I still stand by this has to be the largest temperature Fahrenheit per game in, in almost any <laughs> sport history. Uh, we have uh, Fe- the Phoenix Mercury defeating the Aces in game two by a total of 117 to 91. And for those who might be new to the league, 117 is nuts for a 40 minute basketball game. It's a yeah. heck of a lot of points. Um, obviously stars of the show in a lot of way, but uh, Brittany Griner, 25 points, seven rebounds. She was nine for 12 from the field, 75%. Uh, but in a way that sort of buries the lead. Uh, many may have already voted her as a goat in the vote for the goat. So if you stand by that, but right now it kind of feels that way after last night. 37 points, six rebounds, 10 for 13 from the field. She shot 77% from the field. She went eight. For 11 from distance. Um, Kyle right now would tell you what her true shooting percentage and stuff like that. I'm not as analytically good at that, but um, just one of those classic DT style nights. I believe if you put together Mm -hmm. um, point totals, it's uh, well, it's something like 70% of their points were between Griner, Tarasi and Digg and Smith. This was a huge night for those performances. Um, All of that said, Jason, what was your reaction to the Mercury's performance last night?
0: Uh, obviously, it was phenomenal. When I I messaged our group chat for the show uh, at the end of the first quarter and said if Mer- the Phoenix stay on this track, they'll get it was like 140 something points, like because they had such a good first quarter. And you see that every now and then. You'll see a 30 to 40 point first quarter or second quarter, or whatever. And then you play the game like, what if it happened the whole game? And they kept that pace almost the whole game. I mean, they they weren't far off of that 140 number. And so it was just phenomenal, high intensity from the very beginning to the very end. They never really let up in the scoring. And I think it's, it's indicative. You brought up both of these players. But like we saw in Game 1, I felt like Game 1, DT wasn't playing. Brittany Griner was kind of having an off night. And so you had Sophie Cunningham step up. And I'm talking Game 1, not of the series, of, of the playoffs. And then Britney yeah. Griner stepped up, but if you can get DT and Griner to show up on the same night, this Mercury team could win yeah. the playoffs. Like they could win the finals if they can consistently get DT and and Griner to show up like they did last night for the rest of the time. That team looked unbeatable yesterday. And and that's that was my general yeah. reaction to it. Yeah.
1: I think we saw this narrative in Chicago with their game one against Connecticut in that certain there are those certain elements with that team where if they're playing on point, if they're playing the brand of basketball, they know how to play. If, if players like Courtney Vandersloot play their role to 11, like, like she did in game one, uh, Mm -hmm. Chicago pulling off a victory is, is by no means a shocker. I think Phoenix is the exact same team. If their pieces are firing at all cylinders, just much like this, because we talk about Griner and Taurasi, but, Diggin Smith shot 50% from the field to pull in, uh, you know, pulled in 17 points. Key and Nurse went four for five. She was extremely serviceable. Obviously, Brianna Turner was great on defense. We saw much better output from Shea Petty in game two than we did in game one. Granted, she was sick in game one, but, um, you know, we were able to, to see a lot of that happening and it really showed what could happen there and the ability that they do have. And I think the other side that just especially when it comes to, to, players like Dennis Rossi, 39 years old. I, you know that there's going to be an energy level that she'll tap into when it comes to playoff time. Mm-hmm. And this was definitely it. This was definitely her channeling um, some of that emotion. I mean, her last shot of the night, she had that classic, are you entertained style pose of just like, <laughs> why are people forgetting that I, I can do this? And so I, obviously I think that piece, that material was yeah. there. And They hit that spark. They got that energy going. I, I especially happy for Griner in that we're seeing her exponentially gaining in maturity on big, in big stages like this. Now she has a ring to her own credit. I'm not trying to say she can't play on a big stage, but I think there's a lot of that. Where's that mental acuity? Where's that ability to, to come in on a big stage like this and control this narrative. And I think she showed that in spades Mm -hmm. was able to play phenomenally good basketball. We got 24 wonderful minutes uh, of, of Cambage on the floor. And so I don't think all 24 of those minutes were with grinder, but we got quite a bit more than we mm-hmm. did last time. Yeah. And those two have still been fun to watch. This is a really cool series. Cause it's so full of players who could all take this type of stage. If they really wanted to mm-hmm. game three, it's always fun. And that might be the narrative of game three is like, who's that name? Who's that person that's going to step through and kind of win the night yeah. Uh, because, you know, seeing DT do that was pretty amazing. But, you know, history tells you recent brief history tells you that on Sunday, it's going to be s- someone new. And that's that's what's fun. Yeah, it's like who's coming through that door. And yeah, so so I really enjoyed the night. I mean, the Phoenix dropped 68 points in the first half yeah. <laughs> They're I believe they were shooting over 70% at that point. They shot 81% as a team in the first quarter, oh. which is disgusting. Yeah. Um, it's just like they're, they're the team offensively that's in your class that you're pissed off. Cause like highest score manages the curve of everyone's test. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you're not supposed to get 81%. Like that doesn't help a lot of us. Um, and so, it yeah, I mean, it, this is one of those nights where everything was clicking. Everything was firing. You have to imagine there's a lot of excitement, you know, being able to to have a home stretch now. Yeah. Uh, granted, it's in Tempe, uh, but <laughs> I, yeah, I I'm not sure what else there is to say about Phoenix other than they really show when we can click things into the right pegs. This is what our output can
0: be. Yeah, absolutely. I I think to add to the lore of Diana Taurasi. You also have to remember that, I mean, 37.6 rebounds, like, she had an amazing stat line for anybody. And she was limping, like, the entire game. Every time you saw her get nudged, she'd come up kind of funny, checking on her knees, checking on her ankles. Like, she's playing injured and still pulled that kind of game. So, um, you know, it's reminiscent of, you know, a Sue Bird mask or a, a uh uh Elena Deladon back injury. I mean... Playing with a broken backs, probably the, mm. the king of all, uh, you know, I, I, I'm the toughest in the world type of claims, but th- I'm seeing that. And so if she continues that through this, that's the vibe I'm getting. If she can continue to control games and she does so with one and a half legs, like I, that's, she's playing extremely impressive. And, and you can tell she wants it. Like the, it, it had the feeling of no, 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 I'm going to choose whether or not I, I win this this year, you know, type of, type of play that we saw. Yeah.
1: Her. That's, that's the interesting is those players who can really show out from Will. A uh, point starfighter made in our street, our live uh, uh-huh. chat on Twitch that I think is really interesting is it's important to note that field goal wise, Vegas shot, well, they, they shot 53%. Yeah. It's not necessarily that this was a slapstick for Vegas. No, they were 25% from distance. Obviously something you can pick up. Uh, but they did only go to, to the arc 16 times. I think, that's something that you bet on we'll improve on that in future yeah. games. So it's one of those nights of just that, that explains how uh, almost what's the term uncharacteristically well Phoenix is shooting night wise. It's one of those things that you can't plan on every night. And I feel like if Bill and in the locker room, that might be something he takes there. He goes, obviously there's things we're going to tighten up and improve. But one thing we can take heart with is, you can't expect them to score 81 point or you know 81% from the field in a in a quarter, 70% and a half. That's not something you're going to generally expect to see. It's not in our power, but it tells us that what we're putting together can make it work. And I'd say, you know, one of the biggest highlights and strengths of this roster is your 2021 sixth woman of the year, Kelsey Plum. Yeah. Uh, who comes in 25 points, three for eight from distance. And was in some cases when, when Vegas was working on trying to close this gap and they had a few cases where it seemed like they very well could plum was right in the middle of everything mm-hmm. was taking smart shots, was playing great hustle basketball. Um, She's dropping 30 minutes while coming off the bench. Now, granted a lot of that is because um, we only saw Kia Stokes for six minutes, but definitely they have an interesting case with their bench where I think you'll see an increased output. And, and I only, I think that only stands to get better. You're going to get generally more points out of Derek Hamby than what you saw last night. Mm-hmm. I, I think that stands as a piece of heart. You're not always going to expect to see just 12 points out of Asia Wilson. Yet I'd like to make the caveat, that comes with nine rebounds and seven assists. I don't want anyone calling yeah. her performance washed. I don't know why points seems to be the main one thing people seem to call in. <laughs> Asia was everywhere on the floor last yeah. night. It just happened to not be as much in the points column as some people would expect it to be. If you're Vegas, though, and you're looking at these gaps, what do we need to fill to make sure that we re- we retake control of this series on Sunday? What are
0: you looking at first? So for me personally, I am looking at the pace of the game. Phoenix seemed to thrive the faster they moved. And not that Las Vegas can't play that way, but I felt like they tried to start to match that speed in some ways. I think slowing down, distributing the ball a little bit better. um, That's one thing that I kind of noticed coming out of that game. And then kind of going along with what you said is finding those players that underperformed last night like Dierica Hamby um like i i'd say maybe Jackie Young didn't play as many minutes but like some of those players that that are sometimes big difference makers for you figuring out how to get them back involved and having big games for you so that you can you know get those extra you know 10 points or so that you're going to need to to flip the next one and i think the other thing is from a mentality standpoint you've just lost the the home court advantage you know in, in a series generally the top ranked seed like in this case gets the three games at home so they you know they can only win the ones at home now phoenix is in that spot if phoenix wins both their home games then then they win the series and so just coming into this and just saying like hey this is our game you know brush it off move forward so i think all things considered i know i was just talking about how this phoenix team is unbeatable i think las vegas on any given night is the better team that phoenix has to show up at an extraordinary level like they did last night to to get the win so i think las vegas just take a breath let this one pass and and come into the next one, get back to your game plan and, and play it the way that you want to.
1: I think the, the best situation we could find here. Um, is in a way, I hope that this Tarasi performance is a message to the locker room. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for Phoenix to win this, I think Terassi and Starfighters pointing this out in the chat, really dropping some some good wisdom nuggets here. But I feel like with Terassi, like she's the almost she's probably the first one who'd be willing to step in the locker room and say, "Guys, this I, this can't happen every night. I can't. Yeah. Like these stars can't align every time. We need to come together. Our starters can't account for like it's something like a hundred and one of our hundred and seventeen points." Mm-hmm we need to find a way to consistently have people stepping up and playing the role effectively because we can't lean on DT and Griner to just be that centrifuge because that gives, I'd say Vegas almost all the buttons they need. Yeah. Okay. Dial that one down, dial that one down. I think we'll be okay. Or you might even go the opposite direction and say, if we're playing efficiently, let them get 37 points and we'll, work around it. Like they, they have, they, they kind of have an idea of where their focus can lie because, you know, we saw a huge game out of Sophie Cunningham in, in the early rounds. And it's been a little hushed mm-hmm. since. Shea Petty, we've seen some inconsistency. She hasn't been g- generally well. She's been sick, but also we haven't seen that output. The, the theme of concern when it comes to, to Phoenix, it's very similar to Chicago is inconsistency. It's, what Mercury are we going to see tonight? Mm -hmm. And last night we saw them in supernova form. And can we count on that? Because the other point that you made is they technically took back home court advantage. The unfortunate thing is Mercury (laughs) ownership took home court advantage from them. So yes, they're going to be regionally at home, but they won't get to play at their general stadium with their general locker room and that environment. Um, I'm not great at geography. I can't off the top of my head tell you how far Phoenix and Tempe are from each other. Um, but it's that idea of like they it there's so many little dummy complications. We're about to talk about that with Connecticut too. There's these these dummy little complications that have created this ideal of like it's going to take a lot of work and investment um to plan on that. And what what helps there is consistency. Because I think Vegas can feel comfortable in saying, we're going to put a quality basketball product on the court every single night and it's up to you to respond to it. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and that's kind of where I see things. Yeah. But
1: um, so I think that covers a lot of it. Any other,
0: yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, just to follow up on your geography point, and I think this is an interesting thing because a lot of times when you see like, you know, a Dodgers versus angel series or a Mets versus uh Yankees to, to give some baseball examples, you get those, those crossover crowds, you get Dodgers fans showing up at angel stadium and vice versa. And so with that, um, Phoenix to Tempe is pretty close. I'm pretty sure Tempe is kind of just like a suburb of Phoenix, if I understand it correctly. But Vegas is five hours away. Like, if Vegas fans want to try to make a difference, that's a doable drive for a, you know a chunk of Vegas fans that want to come down and turn this more into a a neutral court type of situation. I don't think the the X Factor is going to be feeling that, and they're they're going to show up. But oh yeah, it's just to clarify it's 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 a 19 minute drive. Okay, yeah, Phoenix so Tempe. it's not it's not
1: far off at all. But then again, again, like I said, it's. It, for for lifestyle for routine yeah you know it's a different you know area uh, you have yet another game where your logo isn't on the court yep uh, unless you want to be a sun devil for a night <laughs> and yeah but but at least distance wise it's not right. but I like your point in saying like it's not that arduous of a drive and can absolutely you know like you know five hours is totally doable if you want to take on that level yeah and be that type of a fan. And that's on top of the fact that like, you know, W fans who I know here in Utah, they, they, there's a lot of Vegas fans here because it's the closest spot. It's also a fairly close drive to get to Phoenix. If you really want to swing it, yeah. so, like the, the surrounding areas, even there's a way to get yourself in the building to, to stand by that level. Maybe you're from Nevada and you go to ASU. Yeah. Uh Or you're, into Asia Wilson, you're into Liz Cambage, you're into Kelsey Plum and you're you happen to be a sun devil. Uh, like make yourself known. Like there's a way to, to tackle onto that. Um, but so far, this has been a very fun and entertaining series. I don't think the panic button is really there yet for Vegas. Uh, game three is definitely going to be extremely telling, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hopefully another close, you know, another exciting game, and hopefully a close one, so that we can keep ourselves relatively awake on a on a Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts on the the Phoenix Vegas matchup? For you forward?
0: Um, no. I mean, I, I'm excited to see what happens. I feel like we've given kind of the direction we think the series is going to have. I do want to throw out um, Camium, Cami, I'm. I M. Um i, I do not know, Cami, uh five six six on Twitch chat, um, talking about how uh, my guess was Cam, I am, Cam, I am, yeah, like Sam, I am. Yeah.
1: No, that, Please tell me if that I'm makes wrong. sense. That yeah. was my so, assumption.
0: Anyways, but um they're on our our Twitch chat right now, and I thought they had an interesting point, which is, you know, Skyler Digginsmith DT, and I'd even throw in Griner there, this chip on the shoulder mentality, a lot of times they can play up to that mentality. And so the whole switching of a stadium, not playing on their home court, getting disrespected by Disney on ice, like those those things can sometimes be that, that food that those players need in terms of uh developing motivation for having another night what? like last night.
1: What What's the more annoying bump? Is it Phoenix getting bumped for Disney on ice or when the sparks were bumped for like Dawn of the Dinosaurs back in 08? Like that's basically the same show in a way, just one's not on ice, but (laughs) Uh, it's, it reminded me of when Arrested Development was canceled in 2006, the program they got bumped for in that slot was called skating with the celebrities (laughs) or skating with celebrities. It was Fox's answer to Dancing with the Stars, yeah, but it was skating, and that's what that's what they thought would get more interest in than of Development. That's almost exactly what I feel like <laughs> when this whole like Disney and yeah. Ice thing. And I get like, so, I don't want to get too much into this because we've already hit it before. But there's people who've been saying, well, Disney's had th- probably books their stuff out for a long time, it, and you can go through all of that. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to have an added caveat of listen it's the WNBA playoffs during this time of year. Uh So we have to have contingency plans for the arena in the event that they're in the playoffs. If they make the semifinals, like that should take precedence. This would not happen to the Phoenix Suns. No, this wouldn't happen to the, to the coyotes, even though I trying to remember if they play in that arena or if they play elsewhere. Now, I know there was a lot of drama behind where the coyotes (laughs) go and play or if they're a franchise, there was a lot of drama there. I'm unfortunately not a very close NHL follower. So apologies for that. What happened to Diamondbacks? If there was, you know, a, if for some reason, a, a team in there, like that type of thing wouldn't take place. it That's just clear. Yeah. I don't care if, if, if George Harrison and John Lennon came back from the dead and their reunion show was at the Staples center, And it was the night of a Laker playoff game. Yeah, the Lakers would be playing a playoff game in that arena. Like, it doesn't matter. And so, but it's the fact that like the Sparks could easily get moved elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah, and and it's still frustrating. It's still annoying. I'm done with this narrative from owners of NBA of NBA teams trying to claim we treat our teams the same. Bullshit You do actually prove it when the situation comes to Mm -hmm. it. Show me examples of when you've had shows, concerts, other bookings, and said sorry. They live here. They need to play here because it's just really frustrating. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to grow your fan base. It's always cool when I see local players like a Devin Booker, guys like that, who like book a bunch of tickets for fans to come to, to Mercury games and things like that. But the thing is, if you had a consistent home and a consistent buildup, you don't need stuff like yeah. that. You do kind of need it when you have to send people off to different schools or different places, or these game, you know, if they go to the finals, are they gonna have to play in someone's driveway? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's frustrating. But I like that take of if they continue to play well, that might just be the message of like, send us wherever you want to send us. We're still gonna yeah. play
0: hard and disrespect and us. We're like, we're gonna that, overcome. Yeah, that's that's potential chalkboard material. Yeah, I I will I'll kind of wrap this up. I I fully agree with you on everything. Um I remember. I can't even remember. It was one of the first interviews we did early on, earlier on in the show. Somebody we were talking to, I think it was one of the coaches, made a point that they appreciated WNBA fans because they followed them everywhere. Because it's hard to find where the games are going to be on TV. Sometimes they're on ESPN. Sometimes they're on ESPN+. Plus, Sometimes they're here. Sometimes they're there. Sometimes they're on CBS mm-hmm. Sports Network 14 and a half. Like, and they're like, our hardcore fans have followed us. And... That's cool. And, you know, much respect to all those hardcore fans that do follow the league around and find them and, and switch to Grand Canyon University and then the Sun Devil Stadium. Like to those who do that, that's awesome. But if you want to grow the league, you have to bring in casual fans and then convert them into hardcore fans. And you can't you can't bring in those casual fans on a regular basis if they don't know where to find you because they're mm-hmm. not following the team Twitter accounts as closely, seeing where all the updates are. You know, finding out from somebody who's in the organization that happens to know what game the night's going to be or what channel the game's going to be on that night. And like, you you can't expect that from everyone. So building that consistency, that's to bring in casual fans, which we can then convert into hardcore fans that are going to follow the league no matter what. So I I understand that notion of like, oh, because it's been this way, we have hardcore fans that are awesome. And, you know, those hardcore fans are awesome. But if you want to grow, you can't just go from zero to hardcore fan you got to bring in those casual people and that's where consistency is huge
1: no it's that's bringing in a, a new and interested fan base is extremely important and it's very hard when yeah exactly exactly what you said is it is Um, you know I think I could have people text me or message me or get on my case about a movie they liked and like you got to see this movie you got to go check out this movie And there's not a theater in town that plays it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's on like a streaming app and I don't have that streaming app. Why would I get that streaming app just for that? Right. And so it's kind of one of those things of you have to find a way to present this in a way that's simple. Sometimes I feel that way about the playoff format. The reason I like a simplified playoff format is we all know how it works. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, it's something that's followable. And and, but it's a tough um, balance and I hope it improves the complaints probably won't stop because we have news surrounding that but first things first let's talk the basketball aspect of it we're going to head out east uh the connecticut sun take game 2 against chicago uh scores 79 to 68 um you know the the brand of this game looked a little bit more on point during at least the second quarter it looked like things were were streaming pretty close granted it, entering the fourth um I believe it was a one-point game heading into the mm-hmm. fourth. Uh, and then Chicago really found or Connecticut went on a run. I believe they went on a ten-o run, might have been an eight-o yeah, run. I think it Someone was 10-0. Yeah. very happy to correct me, I'm sure. Um, and really pulled things ahead and you saw what I consider to be the very Connecticut Sun stat line of lots of points in the teens, lots of seven to eight assists, seven, eight rebounds, like everyone just putting in theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it looked, you know, it was, was very strong. You did get a double, double out of Alyssa Thomas. That to me was the big story. Um, Thomas in her fourth game back dropping an easy double, double with six assists. I'm not a plus minus person, but plus 30 is worth calling out. I think, (laughs) uh, on her plus 30 and did that all in only 24 minutes. She looked great. She was on the court. Um, it really seemed like Chicago didn't have a definitive answer for her. She went six for thirteen from the field. Um and she to me was very much the story, and for Connecticut's case, kind of an unfair one in yeah. the sense of like we've had this roster that's completely taken over, won fourteen games in a row heading into this postseason, and then they added one of the best post players in the league to their arsenal, and it seems like she's finally finding her footing. Mm-hmm. So how how are you feeling about Connecticut's uh you know making good and tying this
0: thing at one a piece? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I agree with what you just said. So you look at Connecticut Sun. I think all of us had them, if not taking the the playoffs, at least having the strongest showing or the strongest chance of winning. And a lot of it is because of their roster. And like you said, you get Alyssa Thomas back, and you you can put up a stat line: fifteen, eleven, and six off the bench to add to Bonner and Jones, Jones, January, like you, you got the core roster that can win it. And then you get that sixth person. And we've talked about this on the show before, which is a lot of times in the playoffs, these teams know each other. I mean, they've played three, sometimes even four times already, and they get into the series. You can start to account for some of those main things. The question is who steps up. And in this game, the step up was Alyssa Thomas. And it just shows how lethal the depth of Connecticut is. And, that's one of the main things that gets you through a playoff is, is depth and having somebody that can step up. I mean, we talked about it in the first round of the playoffs with Sophie Cunningham providing that depth for, for Phoenix and Alyssa Thomas. We're talking about now with the Connecticut Sun. If you can get similar production out of that, or if you can throw it to somebody else and have somebody else be that person, um, for, for the next game, Connecticut Sun is going to be almost impossible to beat with if they can do that. And it doesn't have to be Alyssa Thomas every night, but obviously she showed last night that it can be her, um, on any given night.
1: How many times can a team, your team, is, your team houses the reigning MVP. Mm-hmm. How many times can your reigning MVP score four points? Yeah. Only go two for nine shooting, goose egg from the free throw line. Uh-huh. And it's almost a non issue. Yeah. And that, that, that's what, that's what was so telling to me last mm-hmm. night was, Listen, to win a championship, you need John Quill Jones to play like John Quill Jones. I'm not saying it's okay that she only drops four points yeah. and, and just had an overall, an easy night on the floor for a lot of reasons. But it, like to for everyone to really fill in a significant amount of slack was really nice. I also think statistically something that speaks more to me, the minutes disparity with, with Connecticut shows you just how deep they are. Yeah and how much they trust their depth and are able to pull in uh, these quality wins. Yeah. When you're looking at just about every player in the starting five is in the mid twenties and minutes Brian January had 29. And then you add on Alyssa Thomas with 24 Hydman had 20 uh, Charles had 19. So there's an even disparity. And then when you look at the starting five for Chicago, you had copper VanderSluot, uh, and Parker can it, it, all over 30 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, you only get 20 minutes out of Azra Stevens, who's starting. Dolson, who had moments where she looked pretty solid, o- only coming in for 18 minutes. It's hard. You can sense that there's a there's a tough balance there with Chicago. And a lot of that, I chalked into the fact that they haven't been blessed with the opportunity to play as a unit as much. Mm-hmm. This is a roster that if they were able to have as much health and availability as some other teams might look a lot more dangerous, and certainly they show elements of that on certain nights. But it just speaks to you on Connecticut's end of the consistency and the the value of that consistency and trust that they have in their depth yeah. to be able to make that happen. And, because maybe it is Elicit Thomas tonight, but they have realistically eight to I could argue nine options mm-hmm. of players who you could hand that mantle to if needed and they could find a way to get yeah. it done.
0: And and that's reminiscent of the storms in pre- storm in previous couple seasons where we looked at the roster and we're like you could take their their th- first three or four off the bench and start them on any other team. You know and and I feel like you get a similar uh effect here with the with Connecticut. And to speak to that, sometimes when you see minutes that are dispersed more evenly like you see with Connecticut, it's because you know you're looking at what was it a 10 12 point game by the, by the time all the dust has settled. Um I guess yeah, an eleven-point game by the time everything settled, and you can sometimes be like, "Oh well, if they had an eleven-point lead, maybe they they rest their starters a little bit." That was not the story of this game. This game was close up until the end. Like it was a twenty-one to nine second half that, or, or fourth quarter, sorry, twenty-one to nine fourth quarter that gave Connecticut that that comfortable lead. So you're talking about most of the game was so close that you're not resting starters. You're trying to win this game, and obviously they pulled it out at the end, um, you know, with with double-digit fashion, but. I just wanted to clear that up for people who maybe didn't see the game. They didn't rest their starters because they did. They could. They did it because they truly trust the bench and they want the bench in, in games where it matters and you're close and you're fighting. Yeah,
1: That's exactly where it is. And I think the frustration with Chicago on paper, you could claim that there's depth, but you're just not seeing Mm -hmm. it. If you have a bench that's giving you, Ruthie, Steph, Dufall, and Deshields—you should feel pretty good about your depth. Yeah. but you're not seeing the production. Like, it's—it's it's been tough seeing Diamond struggle, and you would hope that increasing her minutes load would would support her, but there's some hesitancy there, and and it's tough because when Deshields is playing really well, Chicago might be the hard, one of the hardest teams to beat in a given moment because she she plays at a certain style that that is so unlike the rest of their lineup that it it can be hard to figure out how to how the matchups mm-hmm. work and how the spacing works against uh, a group of five in Chicago, but we haven't been seeing that, and so with that, you just sort of start to pick off those starters, and that's why you have three of your five starters over thirty minutes a night. Keep in mind a couple nights after a lot of them nearly played 50 minutes because they had a double overtime. And that, I think that speaks a lot to the difficulties of like, this should have been a night that Candace and and probably VanderSloot played under 30 minutes. Like we're able to get somewhat of break and somewhat of rest, even if, you know, but it just wasn't possible. They had to trust in the weapons they know they have. And and not lean on players in hope that they'll be the best version of themselves. When some nights the best version of themselves doesn't show Mm -hmm. up. And if I'm coach Wade, I'm not exactly sure how you address that before Sunday. Um, The difficulty, the thing about that is um, it's a good thing that Connecticut has depth that they trust. Cause I don't know how they would be able to address anything before Sunday when according to Chantel Jennings and (laughs) other sources, Uh. Their team has to take three separate flights from two separate airports just to get to Chicago. Because they have to fly commercial and apparently they can't give them any sort of perks to help them at least be on one plane together. Even two, they have to literally play like chaperone tag and piece them all together. Let's hope they're not treated like Luggage. Let's see what players we actually get to Chicago, and who's stuck in a four-day layover in Cincinnati. Like, I, I know a lot of these complaints. We're we're talking to the choir here, but like, this is legitimately like we have a like a fourteen-group family. Trying to get a last-minute table at a busy Olive Garden level of bad (laughs) as to how you're treating your players. This the we were told, uh, you know, more than a year ago, because because it wasn't as much of a concern in the bubble because everyone was in one place. We were told this was going to improve. We were told this was going to get better. So when does it get better? To quote the Smiths, like how soon is now? Like, when does this actually improve? Because it's, it's, it's stopped being annoying and it's, it's, it's probably never been annoying if you ask the players and it's now like, just absolutely ridiculous. Like I, I cannot imagine how they're going to adjust, how they're going to make things work and hopefully travel and stuff like that goes well. I don't have anything else to say on that front because I really, I'm just speaking for the sake of complaining but it's absolutely ridiculous to me. Um, And as you roll into that, like I'm curious on your end, how do you handle that as Kurt Miller, Jason, like just do your best. Like, how are you figuring out a way to help this not be, if anything, a mental or emotional hindrance on the squad and help them focus on basketball? Because you want to give the credence of, people obviously should be able to speak out on this, but at the same time, it's like, I'm supposed to be coaching a basketball team. And now I have to legitimately make sure logistically that I get everyone safely to a city. Yeah. Like, how do I, so, cause, cause I'm sure that there are like 19 people on an MNBA team who are hired for that purpose of like travel and logistics. I have a feeling that's not as prevalent of a thing in the WNBA. And, and, you know, it, it turns into these situations.
0: Yeah. Um, man, you're, you're asking me to do what a, a highly paid head coach would have to do. So I, to break it down, number one is you have to, in some ways, delegate, get assistant coaches in charge. You know, you, you have at least a couple of those, get them in charge of your, your airport A and flight A in, you know, in charge of. It. And so start delegating, start breaking that down. And then the other thing is making sure that when the team gets there, cause, at some point, they'll all get there, maybe two and a half weeks from now, because some of them flew on Frontier and ended up in Alaska. But once everyone's there and and you're settled, you have to try to refocus on the importance of the game. And I think the mental aspect of it, obviously, with, with prep, you know, talking about, you know, adjustments that you want to make in terms of your rotations and minutes and, you know, ball distribution and who you're going to guard, all that stuff like those things can happen. Coach can communicate those, but... Finding a way to make this feel like a big moment because what you don't want is somebody dealing with the doldrums of waiting on a delayed flight, you know, being stuck having to eat at the chilies in the, the airport terminal because they, they're waiting on a flight that, that got switched or canceled or delayed or whatever. You go from that and then you have to feel like this is important and it matters because you've just been disrespected. You've just been shown that in the eyes of the league and the people who have the resources to make this happen they're not prioritizing you and you have to refocus that. So I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that's just a rousing speech or if that's a, you know, some sort of event or a gathering or discussion that you have, but finding a way to make the moment feel big so that the players can play up to the moment. And I I think that would be my main focus. If I was in Kurt Miller's shoes is how do I, how do I overwrite the the message? Cause the message is being sent right now is that this isn't a big moment. And that's coming from people in positions of authority how do I rewrite that into this is a big moment and you deserve this and you need to play for it? And that that'd be my big conversation I'd be having. How do I do that exactly? I don't have a great answer, which is why I'm not a successful basketball coach like Kurt Miller is. But yeah.
1: Yeah. It's tough balance. It's hard because like, I I you wouldn't even want to put all that onus on on a coach if you could handle it, but it's just it's frustrating for, for something like the playoffs for certain. That said, um we will all things, like you said, if the Frontier Curse doesn't happen, I sure hope they're not flying. <laughs> um, a, cur- a cursed airline like that. Um, it, it, it's sad because they have the early game, too, of yeah. course. But uh, Chicago and Connecticut uh, will tip off at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. Mm-hmm. So get, uh, you know, I guess have brunch and watch watch the game. But uh, that'll be game three. That'll be seen... I believe on ESPN. The second game on Sunday will be on ABC. Big stage uh, in Tempe, Arizona, evidently, but that'll be three p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, um, over at the Footprint Center. So, um, a lot to look forward to. Should be exciting. A very pivotal game for both sides because we're one-one either yeah. way. So this will will be a real teller here. Uh, but Jason, as far as looking forward to the to the next string of the playoffs, any, any last thoughts, takes anything like that? Um,
0: I think that our probability of getting two game fives is actually pretty high. I think Phoenix and Chicago are both good enough to win one at home. Um, and so I think we're going to end up at, at game fives, which I don't know that anyone would have seen two game fives coming. But I think that's much more likely seeing where we stand right now because both have taken back kind of that home court advantage. and I think they both can make the best of it at least once. Um, so that's, that's kind of something I'm excited about. Um, obviously more playoff basketball is, is a good thing no matter how you slice it. So getting two game fives, um, is obviously going to be a lot of fun. And we want you to have that fun with us. Join us over on Twitch when we do our streams. Uh, give us, give Please. us a follow. Give us a subscribe. That will let you know when we are going live so that you can join in the conversation. We've been having great conversation going on in this chat. Um, our daytime. Our daytime uh, Twitch, yeah. they're very, very analytically minded. Lots, lots of really good, um, insightful comments coming from there. Very,
1: very active chat. And yeah, I like I, it. I like it a lot. Don't I love
0: it? Response. Yeah, and if I can, mm-hmm. if Please. I can, if I can sum up one more thing, um, I spent since you started this conversation on on air travel with Connecticut and the issue that they're having. It took me about two and a half minutes on Google to find that I could charter a flight right now today from Connecticut to Chicago for $24,000 that would get the entire team and the coaching staff over for $24,000, which is a little over $1,000 a player, close to $2,000 a player, which sounds like a lot, but for professional basketball players, that's not that much. Like the fact that you, like I could book that right now, get the entire team on the same flight, and it would not cost that much more than they're probably paying for airplane tickets because they're probably already paying five, six hundred bucks a a, a ticket.
1: Most pro teams, this is taken care of because they yeah. have a plane. And
0: they just have I, I'm one. sure it like, probably violates some, like, ethics bias rule that's inside of ESPN. ESPN is headquartered in Hartford, Connecticut. You're telling me they don't have a plane that the, the Sun could borrow for a night? Like, that's just BS. But anyways. I love the idea that they've just got, like, a, a
1: hangar <laughs> on their campus. Just, like, here's here's that. And just, just to be clear, just... Because there might be fact checkers checking us out. Technically Bristol, uh, yeah, but I yeah, knew where you yeah, were yeah. coming from. They're they are out yeah, of they're out of Connecticut. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, uh, I totally get you on that. So I, I think we'll have to just continue to to play that by ear and see how things pan out, and hopefully those improvements when it when it comes to travel actually come to fruition. Because it's it's. Uh, eh. It continues to get more and more frustrating as time goes. That said, uh, we've got two great basketball matchups on Sunday. That'll lead us to the rest of that series. Uh, Seeing two, uh, a a game five from each of these series would be fun. It would be a little stressful just because I'm very closely watching flights (laughs) to various cities during finals time. And it would be nice to kind of have a decision made early, but I'm not going to call anyone out on that. Uh, That said, we have a lot of great playoff basketball to look forward to. College basketball will be kicking off not too far away because we're finally in October. So we'll have a lot to dive into even after the playoffs are done and dusted. So definitely stay tuned for that. But until all of that, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of WNBA Nation. I'm Steve Schwartzman. And I'm Jason Snow. And we got you next time.